Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 50, and the topic for today is effective management. I got thinking about this topic of management with uh, a recent uh, promotion that I had at my place of work to an executive position, having done you know management for some uh, 20 years. And I got thinking about what kinds of insights, what kinds of lessons I've learned as a manager over these many years, and also looking at taking these to an even higher level in my new position. And I also am responding to a request that came from Marie Eve, who writes, I would like to learn more about managing people. Now, I wanted to also point out to you that we did do an episode on the topic of leadership some numbers of episodes ago. In fact, I think it was episode 29. I've always thought that overall leadership and management go together as important bookends that you don't need to be a manager if you're a leader. You don't need to be a leader if you're a manager necessarily. You can do those roles sort of independently, but I think it takes both of these areas of focus to be really effective. And so I would suggest that if you haven't listened to the leadership episode to go and uh, play that one and listen to it. And if you have listened to it, but you think you might want to, again, do that as well, because I think it really is an effective companion to what I'll be talking about here in this episode. I also wanted to just point out that this is applicable to current managers, people in a formal management role within a company or, or organization, as well as those who aspire to management kinds of things you should be thinking about in developing your own skills for potentially down the road going into a management kind of job. But it also, I think, is relevant to people who serve in other management roles that may not actually have that title. So people like parents, people like coaches, and leaders of you know voluntary organizations as well. So it's both managers, those who aspire to management, and those people who actually serve in a management role but may not actually have that title. Let's start with some quotes. The first one is from Aga Hassan Abidai. The conventional definition of management is getting work done through people, but real management is developing people through work. Peter Drucker says management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. Jack Welch says if you pick the right people, and give them the opportunities to spread their wings, and put compensation as a carrier behind it, you almost don't have to manage them. David Ogilvy says, Hire people who are better than you are, then leave them to get on with it. Look for people who will aim for the remarkable, who will not settle for the routine. And finally, Napoleon Bonaparte said, The art of choosing men is not nearly so difficult as the art of enabling those one has chosen to attain their full worth. So again, some great ideas that I think we'll be expanding upon in the top 10 list, which we'll go through now. Number one is the very common number one, and that is to take stock of how you're doing as a manager. What's an effective way of taking stock? Well, partly a matter of you reflecting yourself on what things you think you're doing well at, what kinds of things you may need more focus on in improving further, but also 
very importantly, ask others. If you're in an organization that uses surveys and a variety of mechanisms to collect that feedback, like the company I work for, leverage those. Don't you see those as just a routine piece of doing your day-to-day work and that you're required to collect that information and somewhat routinely addressing it? No, take it seriously. Really seriously collect the information and try to make sense of it. If your organization doesn't do that, you can certainly do that yourself as well. And if you're in the kind of role that isn't formally a management one, you can still ask people. You know, I'm fond of doing that on a variety of topics where you in just a regular one-on-one meeting with somebody, or you might even want to just send them an, an email, just collect some information about, you know, what's working well, what could be improved, and then work on those topics. Number two is to assert your formal authority, but still earn it every day. When I talked about leadership, you can be a leader without being a manager. But being a manager, a lot of people assume that just having that title, especially the formal title of manager, that that confers authority and that just by having that role, they can work day to day with with staff and the like, and that it doesn't need to be earned. I've been a firm believer in being an effective manager involves earning that respect, that trust, that level of authority every day, and not just assuming that you have it and then just be able to wield it. So assert your formal authority, especially at times when you really need to, because some of the time you do need to just realize that you've got the role that can, if situations get to a point where a situation can't resolve with a number of disagreements, let's say, between a number of people, yeah, you can walk in and and resolve that. You can also make a number of other decisions about the organization. By and large, try to earn that authority and not just necessarily assert it. Number three is to delegate and empower people. This is fundamental and this is something that you need to gauge the level of expertise, the level of experience, the level of skill of the people that you're managing to determine the degree to which you empower them to do the work. You have to take into account whether they're able to take on these responsibilities. But I would suggest that you think, especially if you're a relatively new manager or even someone that's been around in the management role for some while, you can delegate a awful lot more than most people think as managers that you could do. There is an assumption, especially by brand new managers, that they still have to do everything, especially if they were in that role prior to being a manager. They still feel like they need to go do the day-to-day and carry out all the all the steps or micromanage, which is a term that's used for trying to watch every detail of the staff that you're working with. Not only is that incredibly time-consuming, and I think inappropriate, because as a manager, you don't have to do all the work. That's what you've got staff for. But also, it communicates a level of mistrust to your staff. There's a sense that you don't trust them. You don't think they have the expertise to do this effectively themselves. So the act of delegating a number of activities and actually giving your staff some level of leeway, some level of uh, empowerment to really go and carry out these tasks and come back with the results is 
often, I'd say almost every instance, if you've got the calibration right in terms of whether the person has the appropriate skills and experience, will yield a really positive outcome in that the employees will be really thankful for being given the trust and the ability to be able to run with a particular item themselves. Again, you have to calibrate it based on the sort of skills and experience that somebody has for a piece of work. But by and large, managers should delegate and empower more than they typically do. Number four is to build relationships and trust, but also know the limits given your role. There's a sense here that, and I've mentioned it many times in previous episodes, that we're really all about people working together. A lot of people forget that when they get involved in metrics and tracking projects and project management and all kinds of mechanics around the initiative or the responsibility that you have, whatever kind of business organization you're in. But ultimately, these are the majority of the time things that we do with other people. And so what is fundamental here is to build some level of relationships with the people who you lead and also build some level of trust. And this is related to the empowerment thought. Part of that message of empowerment is in fact that you trust the people who report to you. But realize too that the actual enjoyment, and this is certainly the case for me and has been for many years, that what I really enjoy about work is not only the substantive content of whatever it is that we're working on, but also it's just the relationships with other people. We are all social beings, and the amount of time we spend at work is quite significant in terms of our entire day. And if we're going to be spending that much time at work and working with colleagues, why not actually spend some time and develop relationships with the people that uh, you work with. Now, I mentioned that you need to also know the limits given your role. Taking on a management role or formal leadership role in particular also comes with some levels of responsibility that because you're going to also be evaluating and promoting and potentially firing staff, that's a significant responsibility and it's a special role that you then play with the employees that report to you. So while you want to build relationships and trust with your staff, and that's really, really important, you got to realize too that there's a limit to that. It's not as if the type of relationships you can develop are like the ones that you would if you just met somebody at a party that you know didn't work anywhere in the business that you're in. And the kinds of rules that apply to the kind of relationship you develop there are very different from the rules, whether written or unwritten, with regard to the kind of relationship you can develop as the manager of, a, of an employee. So what you want to watch out for here is that you, because of the role, is one that is involved in uh, really having an impact and influence on the particular uh, employee's job and their progress within a company organization. You need to make sure that you, uh, you have a relationship that is appropriate and professional as well. So keep that in mind when you're developing your relationships with your staff. Number five is to hire, develop, and coach others. Again, it's the manager's role, typically, to seek out the kinds of people that are going to join your organization. And as the quotes mentioned earlier, finding the absolute best people is critical. Getting good at being able to determine whether somebody will work out well in your organization, whether it's somebody that's moving into your team from elsewhere, 
from another part of the organization or whether you're hiring from outside of an organization that you work for. You really have to get good at trying to discern whether this person would really work out well. And the better you get at doing that, the more successful your whole organization can be. So hire some phenomenal people, or as the one quote said, people that are better than you, and you can empower and get out of the way and guide an organization of phenomenal talent. Now, just hiring the best talent, of course, isn't the end of the job either. It's also a matter of developing your staff effectively. And this involves essentially working with them on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis on their career itself. So as a manager, don't just project manage. Don't just work on, well, is this piece of work done and focus on that particular initiative. But no, you got to work specifically with your staff in terms of what they're all about as people, the kinds of skills they have, what's effective in what they're doing, what they could develop further. A lot of the things that we talk about in this podcast series is all about further development and developing and honing and enhancing your skills. Well, that's also fundamentally the role of a manager as well, working with staff. Now, we've mentioned previously well as well when we talked about the topic of um, mentoring, that you can also establish mentors for your staff as well. You don't have to be their only uh, mentor, but uh, it's an important part to make sure that you get done in your organization. And the other part of it is to be a coach, to be there to guide the work of the entire team to make sure that the organization is working effectively together. And that's number six, fostering collaboration and teamwork, making sure that you've not only got individuals on the team, you've now hired the best people, you're developing them effectively, you're coaching them. You want to make sure you have here as well as really effective collaboration and teamwork. And that's not really easy. There are a lot of instances when you've got significant conflicts between people on your team. The more talented the team, in my experience, the more senior, the uh, the more aspirations they have for further development, the more challenging sometimes in the amount of competition between members of a team as well. So a manager's role, again, is to foster the effective collaboration among that team and really make them work as a single unit, even though you have real talent and you've developed really good talent in your team as well. Number seven is to make decisions, especially tough ones. Managers are often called upon to be the arbiters, to be the decision makers. You know, your staff may have done a piece of work where they've done some analysis, they've done some level of, you know, proposing of ideas, and it comes down to a particular individual that takes that information in. The team may well have worked very, very much in an empowered way, but you still need to make decisions. And uh, as a manager, you gotta, you got to make those and make them effectively using the information that you have at hand, but then to make those decisions. And especially the ones that are really tough. If you pro- procrastinate on those, you'll lose morale, you'll lose effectiveness of the team. And again, you want to not be brash. You don't want to be you know, making decisions left, right, and center without appropriate uh, input or without your teams being able to effectively be empowered on a number of topics. But where a decision needs to be made, you need to stand up to the role of manager and make that decision as well. Number seven is to be open and honest and transparent. It's sometimes the case that managers have information that uh, the rest of the staff doesn't have. 
also privy to a lot of the detailed information with regard to the information uh, in employee records and the like. And you got to be really careful and with confidentiality there. But there's also often a tendency that I see in especially new managers who start to take the perspective that now that they're a manager, they have all the access to information that they can't possibly share with the rest of their staff. And uh, in my experience, to be a really effective manager, you can wherever possible, or you should wherever possible, still try to be open and honest and transparent about what's going on. If there is a tough period that your organization's going through, you know, don't try to mask that. You know, try to be honest about, you know, what is going on. You might not be able to share everything uh, with uh, everybody around you, but wherever you can, try to be as open as you can. Number eight is to coach, resolve conflicts, and model. Essentially walk the talk. You want your organization to, among themselves, be further improving and the like. The way to do that, the way to have appropriate collaboration on your team, to have appropriate understanding of each other's rights in order to have effective open communication. Some of the best ways to do that, and this is the case for formal managers, is also the case for team leaders and also the case for parents and coaches and the like as well. And that is to walk the talk. Don't just say what you think needs to be done. Model it. Illustrate with your own behavior, your own actions, what type of behavior you expect from others. The worst possible thing is to tell everybody to act a particular way and that you act regularly the opposite. Well, what do you think is going to be more effective? What do you think is going to influence your staff more? The way that you're acting or the way that you say they should act? Clearly, it's the behavior itself. So focus on the walk, the talk. It's also the case that you're being watched. You're an important member of the team. So you got to make sure that you're aware of what you're saying and doing as well. Number nine is be accountable. As a manager, you have a responsibility for budgets and deliverables and deadlines for your staff. Now, your staff has to deliver on these, but there's significant responsibilities here for being the ultimate one responsible for Are you wisely spending the budget that your organization has given you responsibility for? Are you appropriately tracking the due dates of the various deliverables that your team has has responsibility to deliver on? So there's a real role here of making sure that all of the mechanics around the work are also in good shape. So that's another key aspect of being an effective manager. Number 10 is manage, but also lead. And I mentioned that off the top, that simply being a manager and a manager of people, it's really important. But to be really effective, you need to also lead. And that includes things like providing vision for the organization, inspiration, passion, all of those types of topics that we talked about in episode number 29. So I encourage you to be an effective manager in all the ways that I've talked about here, but also importantly, to foster your leadership skills as well, because they too will be critical to you being a really well-rounded overall leader of an organization and people. So that's the topic of effective management. I wanted to also just again, just uh, read through a few of the 
bits of feedback that you've all sent in. And thanks ever so much for all the feedback you send in. I, as I've mentioned many times before, I really see this as a, a two-way communication effort. And I love getting the feedback. And I'd like to share with the rest of you what I'm hearing as well. So Cecil wrote via email, Hello, Carl. Been months now since I've been listening to your weekly podcasts. This week's podcast topic of assertiveness has consumed my whole life. I mean, I've never been able to be effective in assertiveness, and I'm now 19, and I still have rows with my family because of my behavior, but I've never known how to change that. Sorry for my English. I'm French, and I originally listened to your podcast because it was easy to listen to, and I wanted to improve my American accent. I'm a student in English. Thank you very much for your great work you do and for the tips you share with we, the listeners. Cecil, I think your English was just fine, and uh, thanks so much for the, for the feedback, and hope those thoughts were useful to you on the topic of assertiveness. And related to that same podcast, MJK wrote another excellent topic, and once again, thank you, Carl. I really didn't expect to learn much from this message, but I sure did mainly about communicating with other people, but at the same time not damaging the other person. This is an extremely important message to learn and to put into action. God bless you, Carl, for the wonderful work you're doing. Very much appreciated. From Diane via the website, Hi, Carl. I recently stumbled across your podcasts and find out of the many podcasts I listen to, yours not only have channeled me with great energy, guidance, and peace throughout the day, but a refreshing kickstart and end of my day. Keep going and going and going. We're with you all the way. And from Joe via the website, congratulations for this wonderful website and looking forward to your coming podcasts. Th thanks very much for all of the feedback that you send. I don't read all of it, but just sort of pick out ones that I think are interesting and informative. I also wanted to thank everyone for their feedback on the poll that asked you to complete, asking about what the ideal or optimal length of these podcasts should be. And the results showed that about half of you said 30 minutes was optimal. About a quarter of you said that 15 minutes was optimal. Another 12% said 45 minutes and 4% said 60 minutes. But a comment from Katie, I think, may be the most informative. And that is, 30 minutes seems safe, but sometimes the occasional 60-minute podcast is nice. Especially because I listen to them frequently when driving and I hate having to change them. Any podcast that is less than 10 minutes really bothers me. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Katie, and the rest of you for responding to that poll as well, which suggests to me that we really should be aiming for a 20 to 30 minute time frame for most podcasts. And I suspect that what will happen for the ones where I have a more in-depth topic or one that involves a guest as well, that those ones tend to go somewhat longer and possibly up to 45 minutes or even even an hour, but the general target will now be between 20 and 30 minutes, which also means that we should finish this one up right now. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast series. Continue to get back to me, put ratings in iTunes, and uh, any other suggestions you might have to uh, address particular topics that you'd like me to address, send those along to lifehabits at gmail.com. That's it for this episode. Talk to you all next time, and bye for now.